I don't know why the Lord led me into this series, or it's actually a, a mini-series, because this is our second message from Jeremiah, and we have just one more. And, you know, with the 50-plus chapters that are in Jeremiah, with all the detail and all the things that you could pull out of Jeremiah, it is amazing that I could even think that I could cover it in three messages. But I had a specific thing in mind, and I was asking the Lord, what kind of a word do you have for your church, for your people, that would be both an admonition and instructive as well as a comfort? And I was asking him to show me something that was very easy to understand and to be able to relate to. And then he dropped in my heart the book of Jeremiah. And so I sat through reading through Jeremiah and said, Lord, really the book of Jeremiah? Uh, how many of you have gone through studies in the book of Jeremiah? I'm not talking just a survey class, but really have gone into Jeremiah solidly. That's what I'm trying to figure out on my own part is, how much did I really know about Jeremiah? I knew that he was a prophet in Judah, and I read through Jeremiah many times, but I kind of rushed many times through Jeremiah because I thought, well, this isn't relevant. This isn't relevant. This isn't relevant. Well, as I've been going through Jeremiah these weeks, I realize it is most relevant. It is so pertinent to what we are going through today worldwide. His world was much smaller, but it surrounded, it involved every nation of that era. So it really was a worldwide scope, the book of Jeremiah. And it centered on the people of God. And what kind of people were they? They were the chosen people. They had been given a promised land. They had been given kings and prophets. And those who had come to lead them to the most holy God, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to put into practice and practical experience how they should live out their lives. It's a relevant book because what we have here before us is very up-to-date for us this morning. We're going to just dip into when I spoke a few weeks ago on Jeremiah 9 and just bring us up to date so that we can bring this forward, that it makes sense. In chapter 9 that we picked out to start this series, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and he knows me, 
that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And so this word, he understands and knows me, became with this chapter 9, titling Knowing the Lord. Knowing the Lord, he is my God. He is the one in whom I trust my whole life into his hands and his care. He watches over me because why? I know him. And even in the Old Testament, they had a sense of knowing God. Now we think that when Jesus Christ came, that we were introduced to God because he came from the Father to us. And that is true. That is the complete fulfillment of knowing God. But there were many, many who had gone before us and before even Israel was a nation who knew and walked with God. I could list off, and perhaps you could list off, we could just pick out every name in the Bible of men and women who knew the Lord Most High. And some of those walked with him. Even Adam and Eve did. And so he is a God who makes himself known to us. And so the challenge, knowing the Lord, is very significant, I believe, in the book of Jeremiah. As we said last time, Jeremiah was a contemporary of the godly king Josiah and the minor prophets Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And he often is referred to as the weeping prophet. And I think that you've seen me or heard me say, I'm not the weeping prophet, but I sure do have runny eyes when things touch my heart. He suffered much during his ministry to the people of Israel and Judah. The kingdoms of Israel and Judah were in a state of decline and entrenched in idolatry. They had turned their backs on the Lord, the God of Israel and of Judah, Jeremiah's call as a prophet of the living God was a very unpopular calling. He was not appreciated. His message was straightforward, honest. With Jeremiah living out very unpopular warnings of destruction and judgment on the nation and on the peoples. I thank the Lord I don't have that calling to just get in your face and just tell you, you are sinners. You're going to hell. You're headed for destruction. I thank the Lord that I can speak to you through the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we can listen again to his challenge. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, for I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on earth. For in these things, for in these things, I delight, 
That's the kind of God that Jeremiah knew and represented to the people. I am the Lord who exercises, works through loving kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let that sink into your heart as we go into these next verses now in chapter 10. And our outline is, there is none like the Lord. And our first point is, there is none like you, O Lord. Secondly, but they are altogether stupid. And point three, I know, O Lord. And our conclusion. There is none like the Lord. Jeremiah 10, there is none like you, O Lord. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the nations. Do not be terrified by the signs of the heavens. The customs of the people are a delusion. The gods or the idols cannot speak. They cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. These idols. Idolatry is a incredible crippling frame of mind and life. And I'm not trying to bring judgment like Jeremiah probably would do in downtown Tokyo. But this nation is a people of intelligence and a great society. But their religion has crippled them so that they cannot be honest. They cannot be truthful. Now, the Japanese aren't any different than us, except that they have perfected dishonesty. We as Westerners, yeah, we lie here, we lie there, we lie about this and that, and everybody knows it's a lie. But when we came to Japan, we were shocked to understand that somebody would tell, you know, this wonderful family would tell us, oh, yes. Well, thank you for the invitation to your church. Yeah, we'll, we'll come this week. And so Katie and I and our children, we'd wait at the door. And that family that we had met didn't show up. And so a week or so later, we met them. And we said, we were expecting you. Oh, well, we had a bad cold. And so we couldn't come. Well, I had happened to know they didn't have a cold, but it was a good excuse. Maybe they had a little bit of a sniffle or whatever, but they didn't want to come. And yet they didn't want to tell us, uh, no, we're not going to come to your church. And they wouldn't even tell us, well, we don't think we fit in or we, we feel strange about this. And that's not to blame the Japanese, but I'm just saying they, or we, because I think I've become more Japanese than I am American sometimes, because I tell you the exact same thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll be at your house on Monday. Oh, well, I had a cold. No, it hasn't been that blatant. But there are times when we've made excuses, and they really were a lie. 
they weren't honest because we didn't want to hurt them. And so which is of more value, to tell them the truth or to tell them a lie? I'm off my point, right? <laughs> but I think it's because of idolatry. It really is about idolatry. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. In other words, who wouldn't fear you? For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. That is a praise. That is a sense of lauding the Lord, giving praise to him. There is none like you. And that is true. There is no other God like the God of Israel, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave us the Holy Spirit and gave us his word. There's none like him. And that is repeated several times in Jeremiah. Proverbs 9.10 came to my mind this past week in thinking about the fear of the Lord. In this verse, I think many of you have memorized it and know it from Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so in this pronouncement, in these pronouncements that Jeremiah is making to the people of knowing the Lord, in making him known to the people. This proverb is true. The fear of the Lord. Now, what is fear? What is fear? If I just screamed out right now, and said, fire, 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 you would all be up on our feet and headed for the door or out these windows, wouldn't we? And what is it? It is fear. It is a sense of alarm that our minds are built that way. God put that in our brains. And as I've said before, I think there are things that have happened to us in our lives, every one of us, that have hurt us in our formative years. None of us had perfect parents. Well, maybe Kent's parents. But the thing is, none of us are exempt from fear. Fear is something God gave to us. But there's a lion there. <laughs> and we think that we have to all look this way and see if there really is a lion there. But what happens when someone screams or there's a shout or there's a loud noise, we jump. That is made by God in our brains. But you know what? You have those kind of things happening to you as a young child. And it becomes not good fear, healthy fear. It becomes down in the basal part of your brain. It becomes a place where you cannot trust people. You cannot believe things. And you begin to feel isolated from people. We've talked about this before. 
And the enemy takes those kind of things and forces those on us. So we think this is the way we've got to live in order to be able to survive. And Jesus over and over again came and he said, fear not, fear not. And we need to come back to a place of learning to trust the one who loves us the most. And that is demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not a cringing fear, but we honor him. We don't want to disappoint him. We walk in his way in obedience to him, not because he could strike us dead, but because he could turn his back on us, if that's possible. It's the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Think about that verse. Make that a memory verse that you, if you haven't already learned it, apply it. You know, my mother told me, Ron, don't call anyone stupid. I guess at 11 or 12 years of age, oh, that guy's stupid. He's an idiot. He's stupid. How many have ever said, Baka? They are altogether stupid. My mother said, don't call people stupid. Well, he is stupid. I said, don't call your friends stupid. They are altogether stupid. Jeremiah says it. God says it. But they are altogether stupid and foolish people. In their discipline of delusion, their idol is wood. The work of a craftsman and of the hands of a goldsmith, they're all the work of skilled men. One of the things that I think I've told you also about myself is shortly after Katie and I were married, I took a job in a construction company and was with them for 10 years. And during those years, I'd learned from my father, who was also a pastor and a house builder, how to work with wood and and all. And then we came here to Japan, and we were up in Utsunami at Tochi again, and we were in a tight community, and uh, there was a new house going up. And so I went over to watch the Japanese carpenters build this house. And I thought, wow, look at the skill that they have in building houses. Do you know that we in America and in the West do not know how to properly cut wood? Kent, do you own an American saw, handsaw? Oh, and you got a Japanese one. Which one do you like the best? The Japanese one. What is the difference between an American and, don't tell them, American and a Japanese saw? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's the result. It is easier to cut a straight line, cut the board perfectly square with a Japanese saw as opposed to an American saw. You draw the Japanese saw. You don't push it. Pushing, you have no control. Dragging, it's perfect. It's perfect. And as I watched these carpenters build this house, 
basically with very few power tools. Back in those days, they did everything by sawing, by hand. And the end cuts of these, they were really about like four by fours. It was perfect. And I, what? How did that guy do that? And where am I on my point here? <laughs> oh yes, the skilled man. I believe the Japanese are the best improvers of all the ideas of the world. But my point here, I think I've made it um, go on, but they're all the work of skilled men. But you know what? The ordinary Japanese carpenter, in terms of carpentry, he's the bottom of the carpentry guild or group. There are better carpenters than a house carpenter. Do you know who they are? Who are the best carpenters in Japan? They're elite. They are the carpenters of the temples and the shrines. They are elite. And I didn't know that until I saw them building a smaller shrine in our community. Wow, the way they fit those parts together is incredible. And I don't think they use that many nails. Whereas we Americans, half the structure is nails here, there, everywhere to make it stand up. But in Japan, everything is fit so perfectly. They're skilled making idols. And you look at some of these scary things just down the road from us here at the shrine down the way. <laughs> My face could have been frozen there. <laughs> There's two big ones right down this road here. Cut out of stone. One single stone. Tall, huge, skilled men. But... What are they? But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And at his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. We are talking, folks, about the greatness of our God and who he is and what he has done for us we need to give him great place and position in our lives. That he is the only one who can care for us. It's not the gods that we build with our hands or even with our minds or the idols that we put before our eyes. It's the God Almighty who is perfect in all his ways. And he does not need skilled men to make a representation of himself. And in fact, he says, don't do it. They are altogether stupid. Every man is stupid. In comparison, devoid of knowledge, every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his molten images are deceitful. And why? Because there is no breath in them. 
And we know from Genesis chapter 1, where it talks about the breath of God going into the nostrils of this man, a form of a man with no breath. And God breathed into him the breath of life. And he became a living being. Not an idol, but a living being. And each one of us would not be here if it wasn't that we had the breath of God in our lives, in our bodies. We are made in his image. But these gods, they have no breath in them. And why do the people, why Israel followed after the nations around them who worshipped stone and wood and turned their back on the living God? It is astounding. But you know what? Every day we are close to making the same errors of judgment and decision. Be careful, folks. The portion of Jacob is not like these, for the maker of all is he. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance, and the Lord of hosts is his name. That is our God. And then, for thus says the Lord, behold, I am slinging out the inhabitants of the land at this time, and I will cause them distress. And this slinging out is like what we have here in Japan sometimes is a sling that goes over your shoulder and you put your groceries or your fruit or your whatever in there to take home. But my point is this word slinging. God is slinging them. Whoops. I don't need that. Is slinging them out of the land and just throwing them off to the side and will cause them distress, that they may be found. What he's saying to them, that they may be found. And it's coming to the place where we need to realize we are lost. As a nation, as a people, as a people that need to know the God who can provide for us, our Jehovah Jireh, that they may be found. For the shepherds have become stupid and have not sought the Lord. So it was their leaders that were leading them astray. And they were lost. That was the state of Israel and of Judah. And then third point, I know, O Lord. I know, O Lord. This is that a man's way is not in himself nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but with justice, not with your anger, or you will bring me to nothing. This was Jeremiah's word of caution to the nation that they would be brought to nothing unless we had the correction 
and the truth, the justice and the mercy of God. Then in conclusion, verse 25, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and on the families that do not call your name. And then in 2 Chronicles 7.14, and if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then it will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. We need to turn our hearts toward our merciful Father in heaven. We need to look to where we are these days and trying to shore up our safety objects or our isolation. We need to understand that it's the Lord that protects us. It's not these masks that we're wearing. They've already proven that. But for the sake of those who may be sick and are susceptible, we need to isolate during this time. And it means that we are more, I think, more honest in some ways by the fact that we know I could infect you, you could infect me with the coronavirus. But is that what is driving us? Is it fear? If it is, we're not really trusting the Lord. Let's do what our government tells us to do. But let's also know this is not my security. This is not my help in time of need. My time of need is most oftentimes when I'm by myself and I'm isolated and there's no one to share with. And there's those things that happen in our lives that make us isolated. Let's not let society isolate us from one another. That was not Jeremiah's purpose. He was trying to bring the nation together. And the nations were seeking to scatter them. And Jeremiah was saying, no, come to the Lord. You're his people, called by his name. And that is another message of what Jeremiah was trying to tell the people. Don't go to Egypt. Don't go to Babylon. But you are the people of God. You belong to him. And we belong together. And this is a time for us to really shore up our relationships with one another because we're being peeled off from one another. And it has been Katie's and my delight during these past weeks to be able to meet with so many of you face to face. It has been a blessing. And we need to keep in touch with each other and not be scattered to the nations. That's God's ultimate punishment to the people. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, come. So let's get closer to one another. That was Jeremiah's message, it was not to go to those foreign nations and be carried off. His message 
still is with us today. Know the Lord. And the only way you can know the Lord is to draw close to him. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.